Have a great, great day. We appreciate you and all that you do, all you have done. The great example that you set, and we pray that God will continue to richly bless you. You know, sometimes reality and perception are two different things. Just a moment ago, I guess I was reminded of how quickly life changes. I saw a, somebody had written on the back of the glass on their automobile. They had a couple of words on there, and I looked at it and I thought, boy, that's a first. I thought it said, just cremated, but it said, just graduated. I thought, you know, I've seen everything, but that's a first. But anyway, we're glad you're here. We're looking in our lesson this afternoon at Ephesians chapter 4. And we want to talk for a moment or two about the importance of being on the same page. God is interested in His people being one. There's an appeal for unity found throughout Scripture. You remember back in Psalm 133, the psalmist many years ago said, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The Lord Jesus, in the very shadow of the cross, prayed for unity. You remember He said, Neither for these alone do I pray, but for all them that will believe on Me through their word, that they may be one as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they may be one and that the world may know that you sent me. I find it rather interesting that as Jesus made his way to the cross, one of the things that was on his mind was unity. Now, sometimes we hear those verses and we make application to the religious world at large. But I think more importantly to understand that the Lord is praying for those of us who are his disciples who are striving to adhere to the apostles' doctrine, that we remain intact or that we are one. One of the problems that plagued the church at Corinth was division. You remember Paul said it had been reported to him by the household of Chloe that there were contentions. They were breaking up in what we might sometimes call sectarian camps. Some were saying, I'm of Paul, others, I'm of Apollos, and then there were those that were saying, I'm of Christ. So Paul just asked the question, you know, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer would be no. So in Ephesians chapter 4, and really the book of Ephesians breaks down in two parts, two divisions. The first three chapters... Paul accentuates the redemptive work of the Lord. In the, in the second division of the book, the last three chapters, emphasis is placed on our relationship in the Lord. Now we have a relationship to the Lord, but we also sustain a relationship in the Lord. And Paul is writing to the saints, the church has now been up and running for about 30 years. And Paul is writing from a Roman prison. And as he writes, he identifies some things that will create unity among God's people, that is, maintaining unity in the cause of Christ or in the church of Christ. 
Now you remember in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, we have what's called the absolutes of unity. And I believe that those are very important points that Paul makes. There's one body and one spirit, etc. But the first three verses, there is great emphasis on the people of God being on the same page. And you remember Paul, in his answer to division, said that they were to all speak the same thing. So we have to use the same standard in order to achieve unity as believers. But I want to talk for a moment or two about what Paul is saying here. And I want to begin, I mentioned the fact that there is this appeal for unity. But really, unity begins. We have to have, number one, the right attitude. Attitude is so important. Paul, as I said a minute ago, he is writing from a Roman prison cell. And Paul spent time in prison because of his service for Christ. And you remember when the Apostle Paul, when he engaged in his evangelistic endeavors, he often tried to not just point people in the direction of Christ, but encourage them to be cohesive in Christ. And so this attitude, in other words, how is it that we're going to bring about unity in the body of Christ. Well, we have to have the right attitude, don't we? Somebody said one time, attitude is everything. It's amazing the things that we can accomplish if we have the right attitude. Sometimes individuals, they have a strong desire to run a marathon, and so their attitude is, I can do this. And so they spend a lot of time training and working toward that goal. If we're going to be united in the body of Christ, then we have to have the right attitude. But then there's a second thought here. It has to do with the right actions. Paul sets forth some traits, characteristics if you please, that will enable us to maintain unity in the body of Christ. So he begins by talking about Humility, gentleness, long-suffering, and forbearance. So there are some principles or there are some characteristics that will help us navigate our way through problems and difficulties. One of the things that strikes me about the church is the church is composed of people, isn't it? And if the church is comprised of people, then that means... People have problems. And oftentimes those problems make their way into the body. And sometimes those problems create friction or problems or troubles. And what Paul is trying to do is emphasize this great relationship that we have in Christ and then to help not just those in the first century, but people of all ages. He's trying to encourage us to maintain a spirit of unity. So how do we do that? Number one, we've got to have humility, don't we? How many times have people gotten out of sorts with others within the body of Christ because they're just too proud to admit maybe, they, maybe they've been wrong? Maybe 
the position they held wasn't necessarily the right position. Solomon said pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride can be detrimental to the cause of Christ. And so the idea is to demonstrate humility. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who become disciples of Jesus, first and foremost, have to humble themselves in the sight of the Lord. Matter of fact, Peter said, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He'll exalt you in due time. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we need to be humble in our disposition to demonstrate actions that emit humility. And then there's the word gentleness or meekness. That word really carries with it the idea of strength under control. We talk about the word temperance or self-control. Isn't it the case that as we engage in the work of the church and as we surround ourselves with fellow members of the body of Christ, that isn't it the case that there are new Christians? There are some Christians who have been in the faith for maybe several years, and then there are mature Christians. So as we deal with one another, a mature Christian needs to step back and think about, okay, the person maybe that I've got a conflict with, or maybe the person that is in the wrong. Rather than just blasting away, maybe I need to consider that person, their faith, how long they've been in Christ, and exercise Again, some self-control. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about how we deal with problems among ourselves. In chapter 5, He would say that if you go to worship and there remember that your brother has all against you, He said, go be reconciled to your brother and then come offer the gift. In Matthew 18, Jesus would say that if your brother has offended you or done something that is offensive to you. He said, you go and tell him his fault between him and you alone. If that doesn't work, you take a couple of witnesses, and then if that doesn't work, you take it to the church. And these are preemptive words regarding the kingdom, the church. So we got to be meek and humble. But then Paul said we are to be long-suffering or we are to suffer long with one another. Have you ever thought about God in heaven is long-suffering toward us? I mean, isn't that what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3? That God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance? But he prefaced that by saying he is long-suffering to us. So God suffers long with us. So when it comes to people and dealing with people, and since the church is made up of people and people have problems and sometimes we don't always see things eye to eye, we're not on the same wavelength, don't we need to suffer long with people? To go the extra mile? 
Now note also the other word here. Forbearance. Learning to bear with other people. You ever known, you ever known anybody that just grated on your nerves? You ever known anybody like that? You ever known people that they just have the innate ability to push every button that you have? You know anybody like that? Well, you know what? There are people in the church that can sadly be that proverbial thorn in our side. And they can make life very difficult on us. And it might be the case that that's really not their intent. Others may have that intent. But we've got to learn to bear with, or to put it another way, we have to learn to put up with one another, don't we? Well, how do we do that? Have to be humble, exercise self-control, meekness, strength under pressure. We have to suffer long with people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul identifies the importance of suffering long with one another. Sadly, sometimes the church is hurt when this attitude of it's my way or the highway can't be like that. You always see eye to eye with your marriage partner? Always on the same page? You ever have a disagreement? Have you ever strongly stood on one side, your mate stood strongly on the other side. In your mind, you're right. In their mind, they're right. Well, who's right? Might be you're both right. It might be that you have to make some concessions. That for the sake of the marital relationship, you have to meet in the middle, don't you? That you've got to lay aside maybe pride or a desire to win the argument and just say, you know what, it's really not that big of a deal. But I want to just maybe talk for a minute about we have to have the right affection. And I want you to look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about how we are to be humble, we are to be meek, long-suffering, and then he said, we are to bear with one another in what? In love. So what is it that's going to help us? What one characteristic is going to help us achieve unity? It's love, isn't it? Love for our fellow man. Love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, we recognize that there is the need to maintain unity. Now, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where, it talks, where Paul talks about love suffering long and is kind. Love is not jealous, it's not puffed up, not arrogant. Doesn't take account of evil. In other words, we're not keeping a scorecard. It's not, you know what, you wrong me, I'm not going to forget that. No, we don't act like that. 
We try to settle our differences and then move forward. In John chapter 13, I mentioned a moment ago John 17, and really John chapters 13 through 17, you have an extended conversation between Jesus and the apostles. So down in chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Okay, Lord, what then is the point here? You mean to tell me Jesus is saying that there had never been any kind of teaching about loving one another. Well, the law taught people to love one another. Moses and the law directed the children of Israel to love one another. But I think what Jesus is saying here in this context is that the love that He demands of His disciples is the depth of love that He demonstrated in going to the cross. And that is sacrificial, self-giving love. Now I have no doubt that there have been occasions, and many of us have seen it, when congregations have splintered and divided over what we would call doctrinal issues. That's just a fact. There have been those that have, they have brought in things that would ultimately cause division within a local congregation. But you know, sometimes congregations, it's not that they're not sound in the faith, not that they don't believe and practice the truth or know the truth. The problem that leads to division sometimes is because we just can't get along with each other. And there are times when people in the body of Christ are constantly chirping and nitpicking over any and every little thing. And what Paul is saying is, look, the way to overcome that is you've got to learn to be humble. It's not always your way or the highway. Now look, when it comes to the law of Christ, those absolutes, we cannot bend. We must not bend. But when it comes to the realm of liberty or opinion, my opinion may be just as good as yours and vice versa. But it is in matters like that that we have to extend liberty to our brother or sister in Christ. A lot of times the church is undermined and torn apart because, quite frankly, Folks just can't get along with one another. And they don't follow what God had to say about maintaining unity in the body of Christ. So if we're going to be united, and this is true not just here, but in any congregation across our brotherhood. If we're going to be united, we've got to have the right attitude. We've got to have the right actions and we have to have the right affection. If I genuinely love you like Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it, 
then I'm going to have an attitude that says, you know what, if there's something going on between us, I want to make sure that we reconcile that. I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Because that's what God wants. There's a fourth principle I want to share. It has to do with the right aim. Look at verse 3. Paul said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavor means to make haste or to be diligent. And the idea is that my priority, my goal is for us to be on the same page. It takes work to be united as a body of believers, doesn't it? And again, why is that? Because there is the divine side of the church which is perfect. But then there is the human side of the church which is imperfect. I remember many years ago, well, I remember some years back, a fellow that I've known for a long, long time, been preaching for a congregation for 29 years. One day the elders came in and told him, we're going to make a change. Well, you can imagine this guy's invested half of his life with this congregation. And he asked them, he said, is there a reason why you've decided to make this change? Their response was, no, we don't really have a reason. Well, I'm not so sure that, I mean, there has to be a reason. I mean, there's always a reason. But they never shared that reason with him. But during that process, once word got out that they were making a change, there were a lot of people that were hurt. A lot of people in that congregation that were upset. And there were some in that congregation that were calling him and they were, they were ready to run to another place. And this brother, in humility... And in love for the church, told those brethren, that's not what you need to do. You need to stay. Now look, sometimes it means putting our interest in the rear and saying what's best for the church. Did the elders have the right, the authority to hiring? Yes or no? They did, didn't they? So that being the case, did they have the right to make a change and say, we're going to go in another direction? They had that right, didn't they? Because their authority is in the realm of expediency. Keith Mosier said many years ago, if you're preaching for a congregation and decide to leave or are forced to leave, and you take half the church with you, he said, you didn't do your job. Now that's a fact. We have to love the church above our own petty self-interest. That's the bottom line. And if we genuinely love the church, the blood-bought body of Christ, we're going to do whatever it takes, and I'm not saying that we have to compromise doctrine. Please do not think that. But I am saying that we have to do whatever it takes to be on the same page. 
many years ago, I think it was N.B. Hardiman, credited with making this statement. I want you to just think about this statement. He said, I would rather have stood at the foot of the cross and thrust the spear into the side of Jesus rather than dividing the church of Christ. That's a heavy statement, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine? You're the soldier that takes that spear and drives it into the side of the Lord. So how important is the church? Paul said, look, if you're going to be united, these are some characteristics that you're going to have to demonstrate day in and day out. I think one of the reasons why, sadly, congregations divide from time to time, and please listen to me very carefully on this. One of the reasons why churches divide is because they don't know the Bible. They do not understand the difference between matters of faith and matters of opinion. And so what they want to do is force their opinion on the church. And that's wrong. You're, you are at liberty to have your opinion. But you are not at liberty to have your opinion at the expense of the unity of the church. So sometimes we have to take a back seat and ask ourselves, how much do I really love the church of Christ? John said many, many years ago, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. You know how you show you love somebody? Not just by making a good speech. Not by some flowery oratory. No, you show people you love them by your actions. By how you live. I pray that God will bless us with a desire to be on the same page. Biblically speaking, that would mean in matters of faith, in matters of opinion. There are some folks in the world today, in the church, that have some very, very strong opinions. I had a fellow come into my office one day several years ago. This brother's no longer here. But he came in and he was in a, in a huff about Christmas and trying to tie it back to paganism. And my response is, number one, Christmas is not a religious holiday. And number two, if you don't want to celebrate Christmas in your home, by all right, by all means, don't celebrate it. But don't try to force what you think on me. You don't have that right. I don't want to hear it. If you don't want to celebrate Christmas in your home and exchange presents, then God bless you. But don't try to tell other brethren they can't. 
And don't try to tell me I can't. You don't have that kind of authority. That's just one example. So, again, to try and maintain, you, it takes work, doesn't it? Tell you what, you show me a successful marriage and I'll show you two people that are committed to getting along with one another. I mean, they're in this thing, come what may. I said the other day, I had a friend of mine that told his wife, he said, we will never get a divorce. And he said, I may kill you, but we are not going to get a divorce. <laughs> you got to be committed, don't you? And sometimes you have to learn to overlook some things. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? There's the same things in the grand, in the grand scheme of marriage really don't mean very much. And so to just understand, unity is an imperative. It's not an option. It's an obligation. If you're here this afternoon, you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. John chapter 3, verse 16, still good scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. Send His Son to die on your behalf. And so, the question of this hour, are you willing to obey the Lord? To do what He said. Pentecost Day, some 3,000 people were baptized into Christ. Their sins were washed away, Acts 2.38. God put them in the church, Acts 2.47. It's in that body that we're said to be among the saved, Ephesians 5, verse 23. So if you're here this afternoon and you haven't obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to do that. If you're here this afternoon and you have obeyed the gospel, but maybe your life's off track, not what it ought to be, and you just want people to pray for you. That's the beauty of Christianity. We pray with one another and we can pray for one another. We would be honored to pray on your behalf today as we stand and sing.